0: Hello, welcome to MBSing. I'm your host, Mary Beth Smith, uh, I would like to start the podcast by reading a text message that I got from my brother at 734 a.m. this very morning. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Braves Baseball. Here's today's starting lineup batting first and playing right field, Jason Jaws, Hayward, batting second, playing center field, BJ, redemption time, Upton, batting third and playing first base, Freddie, Sir Hugs-A-Lot, Freeman, batting fourth and calling the game from behind the dish, Evan, El Oso, Blanco, Gaddis. batting fifth and playing left field, Justin, I'm so awesome, I posed in Sports Illustrated with Kate Upton, Upton. Batting sixth and taking care of the hot corner. Chris, don't ever call me a throwin' again, Johnson. Batting seventh and playing second base. Dan, I hope my Popeye arms can get more hits than strikeouts ugla. Batting eighth and playing shortstop. Andrelton, everything the light touches, Simmons, batting ninth and serving as the designated hitter. Ryan, the secret weapon, Dowmit, and taking the mound for Atlanta, the 37 year old, 6 foot 4, 255 pound Venezuelan. Freddie, just make pitch, Garcia. Play ball. So, uh, I think we're pretty excited about spring training games starting today. I don't know about you. But my brother and I are. Just us. Cool. I'm okay with that. The show is about things that people are into. And that's what I'm into. And the fact that that's what I woke up to from my brother is awesome. And then later he texted me and said that Justin Upton got scratched from the lineup. And Jordan Schaefer is playing left field instead. So, uh, you know, just to keep you guys updated. I know everyone was on the edge of their seats. Uh baseball is important to me as I've said in many podcasts before this. <laughs> and we'll continue to say uh it came up briefly in this episode uh because we uh my guest and I started to talk about things that make us cry. Uh specifically usually in film. And, like, books. Um, but then I was like, and baseball. Baseball makes me cry. Which is a thing I've talked about before. So, eventually, you'll all hate this show if you listen to it on any sort of regular basis. Because you'll just be like, Ray Beth only talks about the same things over and over again. Uh, you also all have very strange voices. Um, Man. This episode is amazing. Uh, Scott is a member of Reagan Reagan, the fourth member of that group to be on the show, uh, which is just so great. I I mean, they're all so important to me and the fact that they want to be able to help support me in this, uh, endeavor is amazing. And Scott told me, uh, that he's listened to about half the episodes of MBSing, and it's the only podcast he listens to. That's so cool. It's so, like, it's just so sweet. Uh, he's the best. He's like this little, he's like a unicorn. And I say that because I don't think anyone on Reagan Reagan thought that a person like Scott existed because we had been around for, uh, two years and, you know, really jamming and, and enjoying each other and really having successful, uh, shows we felt and, uh, and, you know, a really strong obsession with one another, uh, on stage and off and, uh, didn't think that there was anyone that could come in and really match that, uh, at that, point in the team, you know, we had six members and, uh, Liz Caradonna, um, someone that comes up a couple of times in the podcast, uh, who has known Scott for many, many years, um, uh, recommended him to the team and had this just absolutely glowing, uh, review and recommendation of, him you know personality wise and professionally because they had worked together so many times uh and and Liz does not take those things lightly so we took her word for it and brought him in and I I now I can't imagine the team without him because he's just you know he's a really wonderful player and a wonderful person and this episode was wonderful 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 uh i don't know why i'm so goofy this morning but uh maybe it's just to combat the frigid air that seems to be seeping in through all of the cracks in the apartment to remind me that uh it's still winter and i'm Still cold, maybe I don't know, uh, but you know what? this conversation was amazing. Scott talks about Charlie Chaplin his uh inception this inception of his love for Charlie Chaplin's story may be one of my favorite um introductions to a topic of uh a guest so far like it's just. <laughs> so intense. I love it so much. Uh, uh, Because he was really... He was kind of forced into uh, having... developing an interest in him. Not necessarily forced into having a passion for his work, but uh, it's really cool. and I really, really like this whole conversation. Um, Scott's so smart and... Uh, interesting, and I I hope that everyone else likes this as much as I did. Uh, I feel like I've gone on for far too long. We'll get in a couple of quick plugs. Um, the Nerd Logs are doing a show in the Sch- Chicago Nerd Comedy Festival in March on March twenty second at ten o'clock at stage seven seven three. That'll be a really fun a uh, few nights. If you're into this, you'll probably be into that. Um, Regan Reagan continues to have shows every Friday night at 8 o'clock at the One Group Mine Theater at the corner of Newport and Sheffield. Squall has shows in March. On the 6th and the 25th. I believe they are both at 8 o'clock. If they're not, there's a decent amount of time between now and then that I can fix my plugs for Squall shows. Uh, We also have a show in the Chicago Improv Festival on April 3rd. But, you know, there's time. There's time for me to plug that in the future, in the future. Now in the immediate future, I want all of you to really dig this conversation that I had with, uh, my dear friend and teammate, Scott Braidman about Charlie Chaplin. Enjoy.
1: I am just so glad that Liz, uh, knew you oh. so that when you moved here we just snatched you up
2: <laughs> i so i feel so lucky to be part of this group
1: i feel lucky so that great. you are a part of it now i just don't for the longest time we were just like there's there's no way we're gonna be able to pull in someone this late in the game and for them to like get it and you know be able to play with this like <laughs> ragtag bunch we already have assembled in a way that will like want them to be able to play with us uh immediately
2: <laughs> it felt really good it fit like like even just in that first rehearsal i like felt a fit with each person like i felt yeah i like had the, i felt the beginnings of a click with each individual person. There was, like, that's cool. with each person. I love that. Except, actually, except Lara. I didn't, I didn't get to know Lara until more recently. I think so, he... I,
1: very I don't think he's as, um... Like, uh, immediately open and outgoing as some of the rest of the group is. Yeah. And not necessarily in a negative way, just in a, like, more subtle way and and then but then like once you do (laughs) once you get it yeah it's great (laughs) (laughs) uh yeah i would say he and liz were probably the
2: uh
1: i don't know what that says about the fact that they're the ones that haven't done the show yet
2: but they were the last for you to like Mm -hmm. really connect with
1: definitely yeah uh makes sense uh i did i have started recording just so you know oh yep uh, <laughs> I don't usually tell people. Oh, you're still... <laughs> nope. <Can> I, <laughs> Just like catching can I, off guard.
2: Um, have some water.
1: I I usually offer. Caught me off my game. <laughs> of course I. Of course you can have some water.
2: Wow. I was even drinking. So some. you didn't offer me water, and you told me when we were recording. I know.
1: I don't know what you're doing to me, Scott. <laughs> 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 uh, do you want some ice?
0: No. You
2: get the Braves coat. Thank you so much.
0: You're very welcome. You
2: know, the Braves was my little league team. Have I ever told you that?
1: I don't think that you did. Mm-hmm. Uh, was was it specifically? Was what was uh, was it just the Braves or was it the like um, uh, Meineke Auto Parts Braves? <laughs> <Like> the... <laughs> I
2: think it, I think it was just the Braves. I remember it was a red shirt with white lettering and it just said the braves I, nice. I don't know anything besides that
1: okay that's fine <laughs> i i just i played a lot of rec league soccer when i was growing up in a couple of other i played um basketball and uh t-ball slash softball slash baseball as well but um in my hometown, all of the teams were sponsored by businesses. Oh, okay. So I played for Duracell for a long time. My dad worked for Duracell, so I'd nice. often play on the Duracell team. Um, my mom worked for a lawyer's office, so I played on the Folks and Divinity team <laughs> for a while. It's kind of like coming up here and realizing that like, uh, sport like recreational sports leagues, mostly softball, but other things too, were so popular, was like reminiscent of that. I feel like people do it with their offices or whatever they're associated with. Mm -hmm. And I was like, yeah, this is just like being a kid and playing for (laughs) like pepsi <laughs> i played you sold
2: out like really? I, yeah,
1: I played i played for pepsi uh in basketball one year and all of our jerseys just said pepsi in had basketball yeah, i don't
2: remember me. any sponsorship i really? played little league baseball and soccer and gymnastics and track how you how long did you
1: do gymnastics
2: two years uh
1: What were your favorite, like,
2: um, events? I remember being really good at the high bar. Nice. And, um...
1: (laughs) How old were you?
2: Oh, gosh. I don't know. Uh, Somewhere between the ages of 8 and 14.
1: That's a decent, like, window. Yeah. That gives you a good, idea. probably middle school-ish.
2: I did all that stuff, and then, like, by the time I reached, like, my junior year of high school, the only sport I ever did was Frisbee.
1: <laughs> I think I, know I did that know happened. that you were a, a <laughs> like discount.
2: <dropped>
1: <laughs> I think we have talked about the fact that you did a lot of Frisbee mm-hmm. back in the day. Oh, yes.
2: <laughs> and there's a disc golf course in, in the town that I that I lived in. They're in
1: um, integrating. There was... a. I think I might have told you this. There's a disc golf. There was a disc golf course that people just made with like trees and landmarks on my college campus. Right. And they just made it into like an actual disc golf course. And with we
2: have to go nets
1: and stuff like that. Yeah, I yeah. would love that. I would be garbage, but yeah, that's fine.
2: Uh, I would be terrible. I haven't done it in forever.
1: Uh, yeah, but you have the instincts of an old disc hound. I also
2: have great wrists. <laughs>
1: <laughs> just really solid wrist. I could be a
2: wrist model <laughs> if anybody. Ever Only that. just
1: from like the knuckles to yeah. the mid forearm.
2: Yeah, stay away from my cuticles. You don't want those on camera. But <laughs> the wrists.
1: Oh boy, wrist model. My my wrist model guest uh, today is Scott Bradman. He he just laughed. He laughed to himself. (laughs) Uh, He is going to be talking to me about Charlie Chaplin,
2: who's also really about wrists. Yeah, I'll just say a lot
1: of uh, articulation of movement. Is that is that why you pride yourself on your own wrists?
2: Maybe I never (laughs) thought about that, but maybe
1: that's why we that's why we do the show, (laughs) uncovering all of people's unknown. Uh, uh, unknown, important, uh, import, import, yeah, we'll just call it import. Um, tell me first about your introduction to Charlie Chaplin.
2: Cool. Um, in 2009, (laughs) I interviewed to be a high school teacher out of nowhere. I had not studied education. Um, I went You'd, to school for a theater major. You
1: had been out of school for eight? Oh my God. Seven or eight years?
2: In 2009?
1: <laughs> no, like like five years, four or five years. Three. Okay.
2: Yeah, I graduated college in, in 2006.
1: Why did I...
2: Because I'm 29.
1: Yeah, you're only... Okay, four... I... When I thought about it, I, I was like four. Okay, three years. Never mind. Go on.
2: <laughs> um, but yeah, I had a theater major, and they were looking for a theater teacher at this high school in Western Massachusetts. And um, we were moving out to Western Massachusetts, and I knew someone who knew the principal. And that <laughs> way, I had a connection to get uh, an interview. Where
1: were you living at the time? Because you're from Massachusetts Boston. originally. Okay.
2: Yeah. Um, so I got... An interview with the principal, even though I had no education credentials whatsoever. <laughs> Just because... Except you're... for teaching improv at Improv Boston. <laughs> like, that nice. was two adults. Yeah. Um,
1: because you knew someone who knew someone.
2: Right. And I had no teacher's license. I had no graduate degree. Uh, I had no education. Education. Pedagogy? Is that what they call it? <laughs> Pet- um, pedagogy. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I got the interview and... The principal liked me enough that she scheduled a second interview with her and the superintendent. And then they both liked me enough that they hired me instead of, I don't know how many, but several other candidates (laughs) that did have their teacher's licenses (laughs) and were way more qualified.
0: That's
2: awesome. so they were like, you gotta you're date. kind of a big deal. You gotta get your teacher,
1: but also right <laughs> we need you to actually have the prerequisites yeah. for this job.
2: <laughs> yeah. it, like she looked up during our second interview, she looked up like the next testing date for really? the teacher's licenses. Uh, you need to be in this test date so that's that you crazy. Have it in November. <clears throat> so I was hired um, the last week of August. So, like, six days before the first day of classes.
1: Oh, my gosh. And what had you been doing? You were in New York for a little while, of that time.
2: Yep, I was in New York working as a theater technician and um, doing boys. improv at UCB, nice. or learning improv at UCB. Yeah. And then I was in Boston doing improv, teaching improv, and working at a restaurant. Gotcha. Um, and working on a boat for a little while. Oh,
1: nice. Um, I didn't realize that you had done... Some some boat times. <laughs> I
2: was an actor, but also a deckhand. Really, I, had, I learned some knots. That's great. I had a, um, weigh anchor.
1: Uh, how? What? <laughs> what was? What was that gig? Like, what
2: did you do? Sure. Yeah, the boat was called Codzilla. <laughs> and uh, there's actually uh, a thrill boat in every in city Cape Cod? now. Cod, as in the fish. Oh, okay. yeah, Which is also yeah. Cape Cod. yeah. Got it. Um, there's one in Chicago. I think it's called the beast. There's one in New York a
1: thrill boat. I just realized that thrill you called boat. it a thrill boat and I skimmed over that and I needed to take that in a little bit more than I did. It's,
2: it's essentially a speed boat that, that seats like, like a hundred people. Wow. In sort of an audience formation. So that thing goes up to 40 knots, which is like the speed that you, like a catamaran would go. If you're like getting a ferry somewhere, it's pretty fast. Okay. Um, but then it also, like, turns on a dime, like, skids across the water, spraying waves all over everybody. Yeah. And it can, like, come to a sudden stop and, and gush water over the front end. Oh, my And it can do, like, figure gosh. eights and stuff. And so, That's uh, really
1: cool for a boat of that size, I would think.
2: Yeah. It's very cool. And, uh... Godzilla, there was a storyline which was essentially Jaws, but instead of a shark, it's a giant codfish. <laughs> and I was essentially Quinn from, from oh, Jaws. So okay. I was like a gnarled old Irish fisherman. Um, oh, this is all the best. And I got to do, like, while we're on our way out through Boston Harbor, I got to do the Quinn monologue from Jaws. The, like, word for word? Yeah, except replacing God cod fish. Fish for all <laughs> for the appropriate
0: sharks. Yeah.
2: With like <laughs> creepy music playing behind me and like actually get people kind of like Uneasy. Weirded out, even though it was always like a sunny summer day in Boston Harbor. Yeah. Um,
1: that sounds really fun. <laughs> even though I'm sure it was very silly. <laughs> it was
2: super silly. And those tricks got real like I definitely got seasick by the end of every day. I was like, that's enough figure eight (laughs) for today. I didn't even think about
1: that. (laughs) How many shows would you do a day?
2: It wasn't bad. Um, The shows were like 30 or 40 minutes long, including the whole trip. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think we would do four or five a day based on the weather.
1: That's crazy. That's awesome. Okay, (laughs) so you use all of that experience to help you with your teaching high
2: school drama. (laughs) So I got hired as a teacher, um, very close to the beginning of the, of school. And I was like, that's great. And I was hired to be a theater teacher and I felt pretty comfortable with that. Um, but then she told me once I was hired that the, the teacher I was replacing who had unfortunately died like from a rather sudden disease in the middle of the last year. Ooh. And he was super loved by the students.
1: Oh no. Um,
2: and he had created a film class, uh like a like a film survey class that uh-huh. kids loved and That's they wanted really cool. me to continue teaching yeah. that. And I was like, Oh, okay. So you didn't
1: you weren't really like a film buff type person? I loved going movies. Into that. But right. I
2: was not a film buff. Movies okay. have always movies and books have been a huge part of my family. So I grew cool. up into that. We always we watched. We went out to the movies a lot. My parents would show me a lot of old movies, and we'd cool. share books. And that at
1: least you car. had that. Yeah. And didn't have to really. Like but I really I
2: knew barely anything about Charlie Chaplin. Um, but I had six days to figure out how to teach this class. Oh and, my uh, gosh! I, I can't.
1: I can't believe <laughs> one that they hired you with so little experience coming into it, and two that you had to pull all that off improv, y'all. Yeah, right? <laughs> Life is improvisation.
2: Uh, so I went into the classroom, um, a week before, you know, school started and I gathered all the materials and I had access to all his, all of his books and stuff, but also all of his digital files. That's lesson nice. plans, Workshops.
1: Yeah. God. But how, was that weird for you? Like morbid? Yeah. <laughs> I can't imagine. Super weird.
2: Cause I could tell that he was a great guy. Oh, um, he just like really cared about it. Oh, that's and what I had heartbreaking
1: that he, in a lot of ways. Yeah.
2: He had like, you know, I could get lesson plans were essentially bullet point lists mm-hmm. that would say like the objective of the class at the top cool. and then like some shorthand notes that he knew what meant. Right. And I had no idea. Right. And then worksheets where I could he like. He like
1: beat it out his classes.
2: Yeah. yeah. <sighs> Boy. And quizzes right. and tests and stuff. But, but no, none of the actual knowledge yeah. that I needed to stand in front of a a class of students and like, and know enough to teach. Oh my gosh. Um, so I crammed real hard for a week. And, uh, a huge part of the curriculum was Charlie Chaplin. And, and Charlie Chaplin was like the first major part we, he started essentially in silent film and Charlie Chaplin was like the major focus. So I read, uh, everything he had. And then I watched a bunch of movies, including um, the movie Chaplin with Robert Downey Jr. Oh, yeah. And I read Chaplin's autobiography, and then I read... What's
1: that called? That wasn't a quiz. Mm-hmm. It was a, it, just out of curiosity. Um, I
2: totally... I that's don't okay. remember. Don't worry about it. He wrote, like, four books, and one of them is, like, a full autobiography. Okay. Um,
1: I think I knew... It's just
2: called, like, My Life or something like that.
1: Something generically autobiographical. Yeah.
2: And then I read a biography about him, which like which was a bit different from his autobiography, which is interesting.
1: That is interesting. How was it written posthumously?
2: Yeah,
1: that's what. I, I mean, I guess it would be weird if someone wrote a biography of him while he was still alive, and he had also written an autobiography. <laughs> yeah. and, uh, Man, and I just can't that... imagine like <laughs> the pressure. It's, like, pressure learning, like, you know, more so than for a test or a class or something like that. Oh.
2: Yeah, it's, it's almost, it's way worse.
1: I can't, I, it seems like it would
2: be Like, cramming for a test worse. and then failing a test is like, well, fuck that up. Right. But, like, <laughs> to stand in front of a student's, in front of a class of students, like, who, like, most of them barely care enough to be there and pay attention in the first right, place. Right, exactly. And then, like... The thought of them calling me on my shit and me being like, I have no idea. (laughs)
1: Being a high school teacher is mostly thankless. Having to do it in that situation
2: seems like just a total nightmare. (laughs) So, uh, and They say that, um, there's like a survey about how, how much a, a, a brain retains in certain ways. Mm -hmm. So it's like you retain a a certain percent of information after hearing it Mm -hmm. and a certain larger percent after seeing it Mm
0: -hmm.
2: and a much larger percent doing it. And the highest percent is teaching it.
0: If you teach something, you
2: recall like something like 95% of the information. Um, That's essentially what happened. Like I, I learned it. And for that whole first semester, I was really like just a week or two ahead of what I was teaching (sighs) And then I did it again the next semester and it got a lot easier and then I did it again the next semester and like How long did you teach? 2 years. Okay. So you taught the same class four times or er. multiple sections. Oh, wow. But yeah, four four semesters. Cool.
1: Uh yeah, that'll definitely familiarize someone with yep. <laughs> especially and I mean, if...
2: part of the class is showing the movies. Yeah, so I so watched you've seen them, them that many times. Yeah. Um and so it started by just me retaining all that information, and it turned into like a serious passion.
1: That's so cool. That
2: I, that I then worked to impart to the kids. Which That's so is varying cool. Degrees of success.
1: Do you feel like there were some students who, like speaking of very degrees of success, do you feel like there were some students who like got really into it and like saw the merits of it and.
2: There were students that appreciated it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really hard. In fact, I don't even know as much as like I've always been into theater, and specifically physical theater and slapstick and vaudeville. And I've always been into that stuff. As a high schooler, I don't know if someone had shown it to me that I would have really given it yeah. much of a second thought. Mm-hmm. It's hard when you're that age, and it's like 2009. yeah. To get into something like that. Because not only is it black and white.
1: Yeah. It's silent. (laughs) And
2: not only is it silent, but it's, and this is one of the things I've come to love about it, it's slower. Yeah. It's slower than what we watch now, and Uh it's more subtle. Mm -hmm. And, And actually, he was slower and more subtle than all of the people who were making movies at that time, too. Cool. So it's a big part of... Of what he makes. Mm-hmm. And that's super hard for teenagers. Yeah. To just like really sit down and focus on it. Imagine. Enough to appreciate it.
1: Yeah. Uh. That's really really cool. I had no idea that, that was uh, the backstory. story. That's great. <laughs> um. Uh. What. What's your favorite Charlie Chaplin th- thing? I won't even say movie. Because I know he's done a lot of like shorter things. Oh
2: and, yeah. Um.
1: And, you know, if you can't think of one specifically, just...
2: No, don't... I thought you might ask me. So I thought about <laughs> it ahead of time. I am, it's City Lights. is my okay. favorite film. And then it's followed closely by The Kid.
1: I have seen at least one Charlie Chaplin movie in its entirety. And I can't remember which one it is. And it's, like, bumming me out. As soon as and I didn't even think about it. If I had thought about it before you came, I would have tried to figure it out, just so that I would have some frame of reference. I think it might be the kid. Um. Uh. But I didn't. I didn't think about it until we were here talking about it, and now I'm <laughs> ill prepared because uh, I don't usually prepare it all I just make it up as they go
2: along you're improv. fine <laughs> improv
1: uh, I, I think it might have been the kid it, what's the what's the story of the kid
2: um he's so his character is the tramp right for the main part of his career was always the tramp um who's essentially a hobo uh-huh. uh huh but he's got a heart of gold yeah um so the tramp uh in the kid the tramp is walking along through an alley as his, his you know that's and, what he um, does. <laughs> and uh, being poor, and like bum <laughs> cigarettes off of people. Yeah. And uh, this, uh, these, these. Uh, oh, that's what happens. Uh, these, this woman has a baby, and uh, these burglars steal her car, but the baby's in the car. Okay. So these burglars steal this car, and then they like drive it Get away rude. from this fancy house, and they stop in an alley, and they like hear this crying from the back seat, and they're mm. like, what, "What the hell? There's a baby in the back seat." But it's silent, so they they just express that so it's just faces. like we
1: won't want wheat, and then the text yeah, comes up and says yeah well we won't want wheat." <laughs> <Yeah, well, laughs> was my was me making sounds for my mouth sounds because i was just going to move my mouth but it, podcast it, silent podcast <laughs> silent yeah <laughs> gotcha. we won't want wheat was the podcast audience knowing that i was just moving my mouth
2: <laughs> perfect <laughs> For these burglars, because they're just crooks, they don't have hearts of gold. Yeah. They're crooks. Yeah. They ditch the baby in an alley. And the tramp is walking along and he finds a baby. And he's like, what? He tries to get rid of it in a number of ways. Nothing too mean. He tries to, like, sneak it into a mother's baby carriage with another baby. I,
1: that's absolutely the one I've seen. Yeah. I knew if you started uh, describing it, that I would be, be able to know whether or not that was it. Yeah. And that's absolutely it. It's amazing. Yeah, it's really just like what a refreshing way for us as people who have only ever really taken in, you know, film with talking as people are saying it every once in a while. If you're a film buff or just willing to branch out, you've watched, you know, some foreign things and and, you know, that that's the way that our media is acceptably produced at this point in our culture
2: and during the latter half of Chaplin's culture as well. <laughs> so he came up against.
1: Them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Talkies. Yeah. Uh and to to visit something like that is really cool. It's really refreshing. I, I could love totally that. see like using it as a departure from uh traditional storytelling and traditional performance, even.
2: Yeah, I mean, yeah, a good movie makes... I mean, everybody will say it makes the audience... It makes you lean in as a a viewer. It makes you, like, pay attention and put Mm -hmm. weight on things. And it's so much more with silent film when it's good... Because no one's going to feed it to you. You have to be watching. Yeah. You have to be leaning forward. Otherwise, you you miss (laughs) so much. You're getting
1: literally nothing out of it. (laughs) Especially with Chaplin. I mean, you
2: miss so much. Yeah. And there's there's so much subtlety. He finally, like, sits down with this baby on the curb. And he's sitting next to a sewer grate. Yeah. And he's, like, holding the baby. And he, like, looks in the sewer grate. He actually, like, opens the sewer grate and, like, looks in. Uh, And then looks at the baby. And, like closes the sewer gate yeah. and like oh, cuddles man. the baby and then it's like an iris to black and then he so the baby grows it, up yeah he it becomes yeah
1: yeah yeah right right and that Jackie was more Coogan. what i could remember was him and like the older kid
2: who's like the best child actor
1: yeah. ever,
2: <laughs> ever incredible yeah and he's like five. great i mean
1: i didn't even remember that he was that young yeah, he
2: was... So it's, good. It's a great... We have the classic bit of the kid throwing rocks and breaking windows, and yeah. then the tramp comes along as a window set,
1: like, oh. <laughs> It's so funny to me to think that, like... Man, the idea of being a performer now and trying to pull things like that off is almost preposterous. You know what I mean? Like, even in... In improv, I know there, I've had plenty of rehearsals with different teams where we'll do exercises that are Mm nonverbal, you know, like only mime scenes and, um, yeah, you don't have the, the luxury of having, you know, subtitles and things like that, but still, I mean, pretty much everything is communicated non-verbally anyway, or or non, you know, you don't really need the subtitles. Yeah,
2: when the title cards are used, you already know what's going on.
1: Right, right. So, and the idea of that, yeah, you know, so when that kind of thing comes up in improv or even in in theater or, or any kind of media now, you think of it as like, it... It just doesn't. It feels like why do we have to do this? Like how is this possible and all this stuff? And so it's so it's refreshing. Yeah, like I said, it's. I feel like that those kind of things are such a departure mm-hmm. in a really nice way. Uh, did you see the artist? Have you seen the artist? Mm-hmm. What did you yeah. think?
2: Um, I liked it. You know, yeah. I, I had unfair standards for it. Right. Sure. <laughs> because, like, <laughs>
1: Had it I'm already like, won? Yeah, had it go already ahead, gotten, gotten all the Jackson. Oscar attention and stuff like that before you saw it? No,
2: I saw it like okay. right when it came out. Okay, Because good. I was psyched
1: yeah, I to saw go it. to it. The
2: theaters and see a silent film, yeah. even if it was crappy.
1: Yeah, I, I saw it in theaters as well. Um, and, and really did love it. I, I don't think my standards were as high going into it as yours probably were. I liked
2: it. I really enjoyed the experience. I'm yeah. like, I get to go sit in a the theater and see a... A brand new silent film. Yeah. I yeah. was so excited about that. And I was a little bummed that just a little bummed that that he talked at the they end. They sold
1: it out at the end. I was gonna yeah. ask you. I don't
2: care about the accent. That's interesting. That's interesting to do that. Like uh. Uh-huh. But uh yeah, it just put it what it did for me was put the whole film very much in context of this is a silent film made in two thousand ten or whatever yeah. it was made. Um it you would know? Have been... And if they had just left it silent, then it would have just been a silent film. Mm-hmm. and we, it, A silent wouldn't have to be part of the shtick. Although I know it was a big part of the storyline that it was silent film. But I wish they had left it, left the fourth wall intact. And
1: I don't think you're, I don't even think you're in the minority on feeling that way. Mm-hmm. I think that was, I think a lot of people cited that as like, come
2: on.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's sound in it.
2: Elsewhere, yeah, Chaplin used sound
1: right, and the there's I guess there's not any other like voice stuff. I'm trying to remember. I just remember sp- distinctively the uh, like when he starts to hear things.
2: Yep. Yeah. And Chaplin starts using synchronized sound when when talkies are prevalent. Really? He does not make a talkie for a long time. He goes like, but he did eventually. Yeah, he did, and it, and it killed the tramp. Aww. But he chose to do it. Yeah. Um, right. For. Oh, should we get into this? Yeah. Let's get into it. Please. <laughs> yeah. Um, let's see. All right, Chaplin's a big deal already. He's uh, directing and producing his own films and has his own studio. By the time the jazz singer comes out in 1927, and that's like the first. There had been talkies, but they're really bad. Oh um, wow! Because they don't know how to. How to have a working relationship between a camera and a microphone so the first talkies that come out the first attempts at talkies require the actors to be standing right in front of the camera
1: Oh <laughs> and there can't
2: be any camera movement so the camera every scene the camera sits still and the actors are like very close and that's it <laughs>
1: yeah and no one had ever had to act like that
2: yeah i mean which is singing in the rain you know that that is about that, like that. It turns out some some oh, of the greatest actors right. had yeah. terrible voices or, Duh, or of no course. voice training. Or, right. Yeah.
1: What is uh, what does she say that uh what's she she has one line that she says over and over again. Oh yeah, yeah. you I know what I'm talking know. about. I don't God, that's gonna drive me insane. <laughs> but anyways, yeah, I wouldn't have even I wouldn't have even put that together if you hadn't brought it up. But man. Yeah, of course. Of course. Uh, so,
2: The Jazz Singer comes out in 1927, and it's, like, successful. And it's a musical. And, and people are, like, totally shit. enamored by this watching is what someone film can be. singing on screen and hearing their voice. Can you imagine? Oh, yeah.
1: Can you imagine the, like, experience it would be to see that movie for the first time?
2: It would be, I think, very similar to the first film's. Yeah. You're like, that's a moving picture.
1: Yeah. The uh, train coming out of the. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
2: Which is what Hugo's about. Yeah, right,
1: right, <laughs> right. And, but that. I don't think Hugo is as successful as the artist is, mm. personally. Yeah. I just wasn't as, as. I
2: liked Hugo because it is like the only movie, maybe, that I saw where I was like. Yes, 3D makes sense for this movie. Oh, sure. 3D is being used effectively for this movie. Yes, and every that's other fair. movie. A lot
1: of people cited that. Like, well, I didn't see you. it in 3D, so maybe that's why I didn't really have that experience as much. Uh, one of the only... When I saw Gravity this year, I was like, mm. holy fuck! I, in- <laughs> I, I,
2: I basically don't see anything in 3D. Neither like, do I. Like, in 3D, I saw Avatar... I, I didn't even when see that. And came that. out, and yeah. I saw Hugo, and I saw Gravity. I think that's it.
1: I've seen... um I've seen. I saw when they re-released Nightmare Before Christmas in theaters. Oh, in you know what? I did that too. <laughs> <laughs> I did. Um, I think yeah. I even. I think I went on a date to it too. That's fun. Good for you. Uh, and my my date had never seen Nightmare Before Christmas before, so I was like, what? "We have to go to this." Um, and he really liked it. Uh, and so I saw that. Might have been one of the first. Like I feel like. That was on the cusp of when three D started becoming way more popular. Uh and then I've seen a couple things just because like other people wanted to see the, like I just went to see the Lego movie in three D. Yeah, you're a good friend. Uh, but if I can I usually try to avoid it. Yeah. I just don't think it's worth it. Yeah. Um I saw... Gravity was
2: probably worth it. Oh I mean I went to that for the reason that I wanted to be in outer space. Right, like, ah, exactly. I saw it in it.
1: IMAX 3D. Yeah. Like, it's, it's worth it. I, th- I mean, I haven't seen it not in IMAX 3D, but that experience was enough to me that I would think that it would be worth it. Mm-hmm. I saw the Polar Express in 3D with my family. Well, there you go. <sighs> yeah, I've seen at least one of the Harry Potter movies in 3D. Maybe just one of them. Also with my
2: family. That's about it. I'm going to have to talk to your family.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Calling you guys out. <laughs> uh, so, the jazz singer comes out. Oh, yeah. It re- kind hit. of revolutionizes.
2: Yep. And, of course, if you can imagine, like you just said, how big of a thing that is. Yeah. Everybody's like, all right, I'm not going to waste any time on silent films anymore. Oh, um,
1: no. Yeah. You know?
2: Um, and and Chaplin thinks a lot about it, and he starts work on City Lights. Like, two years later, 1920. Oh, wow. No, 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 I'm sorry. One year later. In 1928, he starts work on City Lights. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't hit theaters for, like, three years. But in 1928, he, he starts it, and he, he thinks, you know, long and hard, and he says that that talking in films reduces the artistry of cinema.
1: Interesting.
2: For exactly the reasons, I assume... That I feel so strongly about that. that right. That, that the audience is, has, to, has to watch and, and there's more weight on every movement and every gesture and every eyebrow arch. Yeah. Um, Being able to talk is easier. Yep. And he also says, that, like at this point, the tramp is essentially the biggest celebrity ever. Wow. Because he's not language specific. He is oh, international. of
1: course. Yeah, He's a cool. symbol. I
2: mean, the tramp is at this point, like a symbol, a character that's known all across the world, Uh uh-huh. universally. And Man, he says, that's awesome. you know, right now, everybody in the world has their own idea of the tramp's voice. <sighs> and I don't want to ruin that by giving him a specific unilingual voice, a yeah. specific voice in English. Oh my
1: English. gosh. Um, so he never did he, he had said, had he said wanted... talking
2: will be the death of the tramp oh, But he, so even in the face of all this huge obviously at this point every studio is you know creating and buying the equipment they need to only make talking pictures right of course on. yeah luckily he has his own studio so he says I'm going to make another silent film and everybody says, You are fucking crazy and this'll be the end of you. Uh and it's not, and he kills it. Uh and City Lights is you said probably your favorite. Yep, so it comes he works a long time on it. it comes out in nineteen thirty one. And he uses synchronized sound. The opening of the movie he also composes the score. This is the first cool. movie that he composes the score for. Um, the opening of the movie is like this unveiling of a statue in a city square and uh It's like this huge crowd gathered in this big plaza, and there's a statue that's got a big drape over it, so you Uh can't see what it is, and they're going to unveil it in honor of peace and prosperity in the city. Uh And there's a podium, and like the mayor guy steps up to the podium, and he's about to address the whole crowd, and he opens his mouth to talk, and it's a kazoo. Ah!
1: That's so cool! (laughs) it's Chaplin
2: playing the kazoo, like... To the speed of his mouth.
1: <laughs> which is like a
2: big fuck you to talking pictures. He's like, guess what? I can achieve the same it's thing so
1: with cool. a kazoo.
2: Here's how important language is. And he has the mayor talk and like the mayor's wife talk and then this one other guy talk and he gives each of them a different pitch on the kazoo. Like one of them's like, and then the woman steps up and it's like,
1: <laughs> that's so cool.
2: And then So that's
1: like similar to the milestones that I made yes, when I moved my totally. mom for the podcast.
2: Yep. <laughs> uh, uh, and uh, and that's the only time he uses the kazoo. It's just the beginning where he's like he's like this is how I much guess. talking matters. Now let's get to a really good movie. <laughs>
1: cool. Oh uh, man, what a ballsy bitch.
2: Yeah. And it's, uh, did- it is so good.
1: I I'm going to watch it. I'm telling you now that I can that to. You. I would love that. Um the how how much like I I don't know if I ever realized that he did as much of the creating as he did. Like I don't oh, know if man. I ever knew as much as you're saying about he wasn't just a performer
2: by this um so I think City Lights is the, no, it's not the first, but they consider this era where he has his own studio, it's like the height of his achievement. Mm-hmm. It's, the, it's the top of his career. And at this point, he is directing, acting, writing, casting, financing, producing, composing the score, in some cases actually playing the score. I mean, and he's a perfectionist. So he's retaking City Lights took three years. At that time, the studio system was ramping up into like the golden age uh, where they're like cranking out studios were cranking out like 12 to 14 movies a year. Yeah. And Chaplin spent three years on one, which is is not normal at all.
1: That's so cool.
2: But I mean, he had a shitload of money. He's
1: kind of like the Tyler Perry of his time.
2: (laughs) Totally. Actually, that's been said a lot. I think his, Really? His son said it, not Tyler Perry, but his son said that like he's doing all these things and he has no doubt that if there was a way for him to play all the roles in the film he would.
0: Oh,
1: that's and interesting. He, he, he
2: certainly did clash with some actors because he he knew what he wanted. Yeah. And he definitely would basically act it out and be like, I need you to do it this way. Oh, so he'd
1: like give, <laughs> he'd give actors like line reads, totally. but like, movement, li- reads. movement reads.
2: Yeah, absolutely.
1: <laughs> I was going to say line acts, <laughs> <laughs> but yours is better. Mo- movement reads. Wow. That's, that's so interesting. It, it's like, to me, I mentally, I'm just comparing him to like, a little kid playing with action figures, you know, like (laughs) just creating all of the stories and not really having any attention to anyone else's, you know, vision, but his own or her own.
2: Yeah. Her own in a lot of cases.
1: That's really cool. I just don't, I don't know if I ever knew. I mean, I, I've only seen the kid. I don't really have that much background knowledge. Um, that's awesome. I. Do you ever? Would you? When is a time that you felt like the most artistically similar to that? Like, what's the thing that you've worked on that like uh, really consumed you? In in in, if you have anything that you feel like was similar to that, I mean, not necessarily similar, but. You know, you yeah, I don't doing... know
2: if I ever have. I I I'm very different from Chaplin. I can admit that. You know, as much I'd like to be more similar to him, but yeah, I don't. I... Um, I don't obsess about my work. I wish I did, but I tend to. I think it's why I'm drawn to improv so much. Is I I love the spark of creativity, mm-hmm. and I love utilizing it when it happens, and I and then I tend to drop things once it's done. <laughs> Interesting. Um so I was I've, going I've to say I've directed and acted in in productions that had longer rehearsals definitely and really time-consuming things. Mm-hmm. Um but it you know those kind of like I di- I directed a big show at the Academy of Music in Northampton, Massachusetts, which is like an old opera house. It's huge. Cool. Wow. It's gigantic and we we put up a a Christmas-themed murder mystery called Santa uh no, called called Santa-side. S-
1: sleigh bells oh no uh,
2: <laughs> and that was huge um but uh it it became Santa-side. like sanctocide
1: lot of lot of uh, godzilla <laughs> Lot of yeah. planned oh, words they, in the corny
2: <laughs> piece of junk yeah.
1: that is not what i said
2: that's what i said <laughs> um, but that kind of those those long term projects turn turn they start as a spark of creativity and those sparks of creativity pop in throughout the process. But over a long period of time, I think those kind of projects for me then just turn into... A slog. Well, they turn into like... um, Communication... I focus on the communication with people, and I focus on the time management, and oh, I focus on the organization, and not and necessarily the creativity. But the creativity certainly falls by the wayside.
1: That's really interesting. I I mean that makes a lot of sense, and I do think that's why a lot of people, I mean, there are arguments, not necessarily arguments. There there's you know two sides to the art of improv uh, that it's fleeting. And then it's fleeting, you know? It's like, uh, it's this cool thing that can only happen once in the way that you experience it. And it's so in the moment and and like you're saying, like that spark of creativity. But then, you know, on the other hand, there's not preparation in the same way that there is. There's not permanence in the same way that there is. So it's like two sides that... (laughs) you know, for the same reason, uh, or for the same, uh, you know, aspect, the same aspect of improv, um, has, has positives and negatives. Uh, yeah. That, um, that's cool. I, I, it's interesting that you admit that you don't think
2: that you're like him. There are, there are two things that, he, that I take from him that I know we have in common, mm-hmm. but they're essentially based in, in the work and not our personal lives. <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh,
2: Cause if you know a little bit about his personal life, he's, I mean, he had a really rough childhood. Um, basically lost his father very early.
1: I think I did know that he had like some father
2: and then his, his mother went crazy Oh, um, so yeah. he was kind of on his own, like, really early. I think really I did early.
1: know something about that.
2: Um, and so he had a tough, really poor childhood, and then, you know, f- for whatever reason, he was reason, a real tramp, up, if you will. Yeah, absolutely. Um, he slept with a lot of younger girls <laughs> as he grew older, and he had four wives, and
1: Wow. Um,
2: yeah. But the last, last marriage was a good one, and it lasted a long time. That's good. Um, uh, what was I saying? Oh, yeah, the artistic things. There are two things that I love about him that I'm most inspired by.
1: Did you, uh, before, before we get into this, did you uh, sleep with a lot of younger girls and have a bunch of marriages before your marriage? No. Okay, just making sure. And your parents are still...
2: Yep, my parents are together Insane.
1: Cool, cool, and, cool. Um, okay, I was just... Because you talked a lot about, like, what he went through and how yeah. you were different no, from that. <laughs> I, would
2: be, I would be such a better artist if my childhood was worse. <laughs> but my childhood was really good.
1: I, that's so funny that you say that. Cause some, I, I don't know if I've ever like literally had the thought that you just said, but I have like had a very like, easy, I've, I've had an easy life. Yep. My parents are wonderful and still together, and hugely supportive and influential to me. Um, I've always been relatively well educated, uh, um, and never really for want of anything. And yet, and I'm, I'm so still, grateful for that. Yeah, me too.
2: I still am. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I well, it's that like I would have more. I don't know if pain makes an artist. I don't wanna say Yeah,
1: I I think it makes some. I don't think it's impossible to be a good artist if you don't have some sort of like underlying fucking like pain or struggle, like you're saying. I, I I I think some people might
2: uh argue with that, but I think it's it's discomfort more than pain because I think really good art comes from a desire to change something. That's all the best stuff.
1: Oh, that's, and, oh man. And I that's will great. always,
2: because I had a good childhood, and you always, you know, you, yeah. most people grow up looking at their parents and thinking that's the adulthood that I'm going to have. And my parents were like happily married, and their family has always been the most important thing to them. Yeah. That's always going to be a part of who I am. And so I am. I'm comfortable, and I basically always have been. Mm-hmm. So I don't have a lot of drive to yeah. change things because I'm I'm intrinsically happy with my life and yeah, with the world. Yeah, that's so. I that, do art to I, have fun. I
1: relate to that so much. Yeah,
2: I mean, when it comes down to prioritizing either life or art, I'm always going to choose life. Because hmm. life is good, and, I, and, mm-hmm. and that's what I you know I hold family more important than anything else. Chaplin definitely held art more important than family, even when he was happily married. His work was at the expense of his personal life.
1: That's so interesting to think, like, I wonder, I wish there was a way to, like, be able to categorize more than just speculating, to really be able to, like, get into that idea with some of the artists that we hold as, like, the greatest. I'm sure it would probably lean in the direction of chaplain yeah i would think uh you know the people who really have the passion uh ooh, also it it didn't it doesn't totally surprise me to hear uh you say that you can't really relate to the like micromanaging wanting to do everything kind of uh aspect of it because you're very much a uh a team player for the lack of a better word Uh, Yeah, you're you're incredibly uh, generous as a performer uh, on stage and off stage. (laughs) I said it.
2: Honestly, my favorite part of directing theater was always like what I could get out of the cast members. Yeah. Yeah, I love finding their ideas, and and, you know, I was never very good at having my own, (laughs) and and that's sort of a problem. That's that's probably why I never. I never got into grad school. I tried a couple times to be huh. a, a director, but I I think they're really looking for someone who's like edgy and wants to like like has a very clear vision of what they want to see on stage. And I love taking the ideas that are in the text and the ideas that the actors have and the designers have and putting them all together to create something cool. And I
1: think that's just as important. It's like, valuable. It I and I think <laughs> but I. I don't know like it's hard for me I don't know enough about um my my favorite directors like in that sense uh to be able to speculate whether they fall which side of that equation they fall on but a lot of my favorite directors are directors who have who work with the same actors a lot like who have a bit of an ensemble like your Paul Thomas Anderson and Wes Anderson and even um
2: better be someone with the last name Anderson
1: yeah, basically anyone...
2: Anderson Cooper. Anyone
1: Anderson. I like Sam Mendes a lot. I guess he hasn't worked with too many of the same actors. Um, uh, he probably falls more on the side of like having a pretty strict vision, if
2: I had to speculate. Well, I don't know if having recurring cast members means they're not vision-oriented directors. I think no. I find someone who... Oil, who fits their vision. Oil, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Oh, you get me over and over again. Because a lot of directors are kind of scratching at that same vision in a different way every time they make a film. It's the same concept yeah. that they're getting at in a very different way. And yeah. So I think if you find an actor, I think that probably
1: applies to both of those guys, too. Yeah. The Andersons. Yeah. Wes and Paul Thomas. Uh, anyway, that, I took it off on a couple of tangents. But... What are the ways that you feel like you artistically are similar oh, yeah. to Chaplin?
2: Um, he, so he defied genre, which is really easy for me to do now because people do it all the time now. hmm I, I wish it happened more often than it does because I feel like the studios are starting to fall back into the genre thing. Mm-hmm where they're they're happy to make Fast and the Furious 6 mm-hmm. and it's just an action film that's what it is and it mm-hmm. it's all the genre points of an action film and it doesn't say anything greater. Um what do you think what are some of your favorite like uh
1: do will give examples of some of your favorite uh,
2: departures from genre or like uh kind of fuckies to to genre. Well, well there's two different things I guess. The fuck you to genre is like, um, Clint Eastwood's Unforgiven.
1: Oh, okay. That's a Western. Yeah. Oh, it's a Western, but
2: it's a big fuck you Western. It's also a worshiping of Western.
1: Right. Cool. Yeah. I haven't seen it. I haven't seen... Essentially, it takes... I don't think
2: I've seen any of his,
1: like, earlier big films. Yeah. The, like, iconic ones.
2: Essentially, it takes all the pieces of the classic Western and really... Uh, questions them and twists cool. them, um, and I like that stuff. I uh-huh. like when people use genre to be like, make make the audience a little bit uncomfortable and make them go, wait, cool. I'm actually not sure if he's the good guy. Yeah, right, right, right. Because <laughs> that's he's fucked up.
1: Cool, I like that too. <laughs> um,
2: but but what? That's not what Chaplin did. What Chaplin did was he, but he just wasn't concerned about it. He used the the interaction of genre to create something unique and most importantly, above all realistic because real life isn't genre. Um, and especially in city lights, there are some moments where he Hmm. takes, um, comedy and drama for lack of a better word, but he takes, he takes uh, something sad and sweet and something f- silly and funny. He started in vaudeville on stage, so that mm-hmm. slapstick sensibility is really with him. But is he takes what it he's
1: always had, yeah. So
2: far beyond slapstick that I don't like saying slapstick when I talk about Chaplin because it's not his focus. I
1: wouldn't even... I don't think I would ever think associate that with his... I don't think I would associate slapstick with Chaplin when it comes to mine.
2: Well, if you see his earlier stuff... That's what it is. In fact, on I Netflix guess
1: right now... I associate isn't the right word. That's, not, that's definitely not one of the first like, things I would think of.
2: Yeah, because he goes beyond it in his career. Yeah. He starts out with that stuff.
1: Uh, what's on what, Netflix? Netflix. Uh, <laughs>
2: there's two things on Netflix that, ha, that are, cha, are Chaplin related. Okay. Um, one is a new cartoon show called Chaplin and Co. Where it's like an animated tramp. Cool. In a modern city.
1: That's awesome. And it's, I didn't even know and that. It's the
2: only sound effects. There's no. Existed. It. It's for kids. Really? Yeah. Um, so I've watched. A I mean, just bit of because
1: that. it's for kids doesn't mean doesn't mean I wouldn't know it
2: existed. As, as we have <laughs> talked about. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> in fact, it's probably a better chance that. You How know many that it of
1: the 3D films? Wait, first of all, yeah. Our conversation before we started recording was yeah. entirely about young adult fiction. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um. And I recommended a couple to you, and you recommended a couple to me, and I'm gonna read the Librio. And answer. we all stay young together. And we all go down together. Uh, and we've also watched Rasta Mouse together. Sure have. We sure have. That's another thing everybody can check out on Netflix.
2: Rasta Mouse.
1: Rasta Mouse.
2: A little creepy. Uh, <laughs> but hey, the whole thing's written in rhyme. Yeah. So, yeah, and it took us a,
1: a few scenes to realize that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, what's the other thing on Netflix that's Chaplin? They know? put
2: up uh I think they call it the Chaplin Collection or something, but it's it's basically all the films that he made with Keystone, which is almost the first time he was ever on film.
1: Oh, interesting.
2: And it's a bunch of short films. It's yeah. a ton of short I films. I think I've
1: seen at least a couple of those. Including
2: as well. The first time the tramp ever appears cool. on screen, which the first this this uh, the first time the tramp was ever on screen, the character was created. Um, it was in a short that's on Netflix uh, called "Kid Auto Races in Venice." <laughs> um, that was filmed and released in February of 1914. Wow. 100 years ago, wow! this month, The Tramp cool. was
1: created. This is like an anniversary. A
2: centennial, a right? A
1: centennial. Is that what you call it?
2: Indeed. Of The Tramp. Isn't that incredible? And in fact, there's a whole that bunch of things incredible. that are happening this year in honor of the 100 year anniversary of The Tramp. Just oh, stuff in be- theaters and online. That's and so
1: Cool cool yeah. good that's awesome i uh i will definitely watch that too
2: but that in that collection watch kid auto races in venice because that's worth it it's the first time he's on camera and it's essentially um it, it's filmed at an actual like soapbox derby where there are kids in little cars that's racing great. and there's a huge crowd it's actually happening they didn't have that many extras yeah so it's at, at an actual race And they set up a camera, and he just plays this tramp who, like, has wandered into this race. And he just falls in love with the camera. He just, like, wants to be in front of the camera. And people keep, like, shoving him out of the way because they're like, we're trying to film the race here. And they're actors, the people with the camera are actors, I believe. But all the bystanders are real people who are kind of, like, looking over. They're not laughing. They're looking over, like, what's happening? (laughs) I can't believe
1: the first, it's kind of like, it's like a, a prank. It,
2: that's what it feels like. And he just keeps like they will shove him out of the way and then he'll like like toss his hat over in front of the camera and then walk over and be like, Well I have to pick up my hat. And that then he'll like stand in front so of the camera cool. and kinda like
1: pose. <laughs> I love it.
2: Uh yeah, it's great. And then the other one you should watch on there is called 1 AM. Uh and that's essentially how Chaplin got his start in vaudeville was playing a a drunk rich man and so this this one is a short film of him like just being a drunk rich man getting home after a long night of drinking cool and he like oh well, AM. totally exploits every physical joke that can be done in every scene so like it starts with the taxi pulling up in front of his house and he does everything you can do with a taxi door like oh, trying cool. to get out of it yeah door.
1: yeah right and then he does
2: everything you could possibly think of <laughs> of like to being locked out get of get into his, his
1: apartment right
2: and then he walks into his house, and it, like, is this wide shot, and you're like, it's a giant fucking playground. It, you can see everything he's going to do. It's like, this, you're like, there's a coat rack. He's going to climb that. at some point. there's a bear rug. He's going to get scared by the bear rug. Like, he's going to spill that. He's going to trip on that. He's going to fall over. The, and he yeah. does all of it.
1: What a study in, like, environment. That's
2: exactly what it is. And that's slapstick. So ah. you can watch him do it really well.
1: Yeah, in that. that's cool. Um, I, it has that on the amazing. flip side. He's
2: a master of that physical stuff. It has none of the
1: subtleties.
2: None of the subtle. Well, no, there's some subtle stuff because he's. I think that's what makes him great. He still like, has he's more to, subtle. Okay. Than others, but uh, it has none of the none of the emotional connection that makes his work so important to sure. me anyway. Yeah. Um, What the hell were we talking about? Uh, You said
1: that you enjoy Defying Genre.
2: Yeah, okay. Defying Genre. There's a moment in City Lights that just gives me shivers. It makes me want to like literally cry every time I see it. Um,
1: Are you a movie crier? Yeah, yeah. I cry in movies and
2: and never in real life. (laughs) (laughs) Unfortunately. I definitely
1: (laughs) cry far more at art at, 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 film and, and books and some TV than I do about real things. Yeah. I, I won't say I don't cry about real things cause I do. Uh, but yeah, I cry at like, I cry at baseball and <laughs> I'm not necessarily proud of that, but I do.
2: Yeah. I think the last time I cried in real life was like. When I was 17, and I broke up with my high school girlfriend. Really? I think that was the last time I cried, not watching something, or reading something.
1: That's crazy. I, what do you... I
2: usually don't cry at sad things, either. Sometimes a sad thing in a movie will make me cry, but it's usually, when something is executed perfectly, I just... Yeah. I just cry. I don't know Mine, what it
1: is. Yeah, I would say I cry far more at things that move me than I do at actual sad things. Yeah. Like, I'm not moved by a lot of typical things that people cite as things they cry at. Like, The Notebook. I was like, blah. <laughs> <laughs> Too easy. Yeah. Um, uh, but, like, man, I watched... I watched Juno on Monday night mm. for or Sunday night for the first time in a while. It's one of my favorite movies. Yeah, uh, it's a good one. I'm I'm glad you like it, and you don't have to say that you do just because I said that's one of my favorites. But man, I it had been a few years since I had revisited it, and the it it is like a, an important movie to me in a lot of ways. But there are some scenes that are just executed so well and like they're so simple and the acting is great and the emotions are are just like very realistic to me there's a scene the scene with Juno and her dad with just Ellen Page and J.K. Simmons mm-hmm. where she's like just asking him about like relationships and marriage it's right after she has um spoiler alert scene if you haven't seen a movie from 2008 no Uh, uh, not that spoiler that is not a part of that film (laughs) uh and that's not why i revisited it i just really liked that movie and i had been thinking about it a lot uh even before um she came out uh anyway she has just seen jason bateman and
0: jennifer garner or jennifer
1: garner yeah um she just found out they're not going to stay together. Mark, Jason Bateman's character, tells Juno that he's leaving uh, Vanessa, and and she is distraught. She, I mean, for so many reasons. Uh, it, and oh gosh, that whole sequence just kills me because yeah. you know she doesn't have a loving home for her child. She isn't sure if like the perfect. She literally thought they were the perfect couple. Yeah. So she has this torn out from under her. And that sequence of her leaving their house and having to drive home incredibly distraught while going through, like, hormonal ridiculousness by being pregnant. So she has to pull the car over and just cry. And she gets home, and one of the first things she says when she comes through the door is, uh, oh, her dad's like, where have you been? And she's like, oh, you know, just... Uh, dealing with things that are way uh, that are <laughs> way outside of my maturity level, or something to that effect, yeah. and it's so, and you know, people criticize that film for for being like too witty, and I just I'm just like, why can't
2: people are witty?
1: Why can't she be witty? Why yeah. can't she just be a witty person? Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, and that conversation just
2: destroys me. It's it's honest and it's understated. In yes. terms of the acting. Yes. And I think that's why it works. Yeah. She allows us to step in and, f- and fill in the blanks a little bit. Mm-hmm.
1: And she just has some of the most simple questions that are so, like... And when I saw the film, I was, like, going through a lot of things similarly in the sense of, like, I saw a lot of marriages around me that were either... um ending or, uh, like, uh, or, or beginning. And I I didn't know how to feel about any of it. I was very, uh, very all over the place. And she just, you know, she says, I need to know that two people can be happy together forever. And it just like, ah, it's wonderful. And you find out that she's, she does love Polly and her dad gives her, The best advice, but in a way that he doesn't even realize he's giving her the best advice. Ugh, it's so good. Anyway, sorry. I talked about that for way too long, but I really love it. Um, And I felt like it was pertinent to what we were talking about. Totally. (laughs) Okay. Um, So, I would like to hear the other way that you think um, that genre can be, like, defied. Uh, Because you talked about Unforgiven.
2: Yeah, that's the fuck you, Mm -hmm. which is also called uh, revisionist.
1: Revisionist, sure.
2: Um, Which there really is in every major genre. It Mm -hmm. reaches a point where somebody or multiple people make a revisionist film in that genre. Mm -hmm. Um, But no, the other way is Chaplin's Way, where he uses different genres. Not just saying, this movie will make you laugh, this movie will make you cry. But taking them and putting them together in, in tight... Curves where they're they're not only just yeah. I guess we talked about other, that
1: a little bit about City Lights.
2: Yeah, they're not just next to each other, but they actually it's not just impressive that they exist next to each other, but they amplify each other by Absolutely. their proximity
1: dynamics, baby. Yes.
2: Um, and that is so. This this uh, great great scene really early on in City Lights. There's a girl who's selling flowers and she's blind. Chaplin is a tramp, he's poor, he is trying to cross the street and there's a bunch of fancy motor cars blocking the street there to like pick up or drop off rich people. And he gets like halfway across the street and he can't find his way between these two cars, so he climbs into the back seat of one of the cars and climbs out the the other side. So he gets out of a fancy car, slams the car door behind him, and the blind girl hears the fancy car door slam, thinks that a rich man has just gotten out of the car and asks him if he wants to buy a flower. And the tramp is like, you know, I don't have any money. No, I don't want to buy a flower. And she says, are you sure? You know, it's just this much money. And he says, well, okay. And he walks over and, um, he, he, she says, which flower would you like? And she's holding up two and he points at one and she holds up the other one and says this one or this one. And he points at one again and she doesn't know which one. And then he, she, he reaches to grab it and she moves her hand and, and bumps the flower out of her hand he reaches down and picks it up right away and then she goes down to pick it up and he oh. realizes that she's blind and he's drawn into this vulnerability she's beautiful and she and he realizes she's blind and so he puts the flower in her hand and he his whole demeanor changes and he's Ugh. like super interested and you're really falling in love with this moment That's it's so like
1: cool. sweet
2: and romantic and sad yeah because of course Here's a girl who's blind and selling flowers on the street, so she's not in a great position. Yeah. And he's a tramp, but she is, you know, thinks that he's rich, which is exactly what he's not. Right. Um, he buys a flower and then he's still standing there and, uh, the rich guy who was dropped off crosses the street, gets into his car, slams the door and she hears the door slam and thinks that he's gone. She says, wait, you (sighs) forgot your change. She puts the money back in her in her purse or whatever. And he realizes she doesn't know that he's there anymore. Oh. And he like very quietly starts to walk away (laughs) and then like goes around the corner and then like peeks his head back around because he's so enamored with her. Yeah. And he creeps back in and he sits on the ledge, like, just a few feet from her and and just just kind of watches watches her. her. And she's going about her business, and she takes an empty flower pot and she goes to this fountain that's right next to where he's sitting, and she's rinsing out the flower pot, and he's like looking at her, so enamored and interested and, and, and just totally vulnerable. Uh-huh. And she's rinsing out the flower pot, and she, she fills the, the pot with water and then dumps it in his face and then continues. Uh- <laughs> she has no idea he's there. It is so brilliant. <laughs> and you that's laugh. Amazing. It's funny to see someone get a face full of water yeah. when they don't expect it, but it's the laugh is so much better yeah. because you're so into what's <laughs> happening and you're so invested <laughs> and you feel for them and that that uh, slapstick comedy comes right at the height of that emotional intensity and it is... Fucking that's brilliant.
0: Awesome.
1: So that's something that you absolutely relate to and feel like that's what you I try to like
2: for chase. All the time. Cool. Cool. Yeah. Which is which is why I think the the pitfall of it is that people go to improv shows expecting comedy and they always get comedy. Yeah. But I will often err on the side of being too dramatic in an improv scene. With the hope that that drama that will juxtapose the comedy, because the comedy's always coming. Yeah. But if you can really get someone on that believable yeah. arc yeah. down, uh-huh. then when it swings up again, uh-huh. it's such a better laugh. Mm-hmm. And that's what I'm always going for.
1: Yeah, I remember you saying after our last Reagan Reagan show that you really loved the team because they're like game for that they kind go of for thing. It. You yeah. go for it. I try, man. I love that too. Like to 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 you know, uh, I, that's, I I love acting, and I don't.
2: You are seriously good at it.
1: Oh well, that's sweet. Uh,
2: thank you. No, really. Um, I mean that last show we <laughs> did. Last show. Yeah. I was in a coma. Yeah. My character was in a coma, and you were my sister. Yeah. And you were talking to me. Yeah. So honestly, uh-huh. and. You just said some really beautiful things that were similar to Juno, uh, not overstated. Uh, just I felt very like honest it got and a straightforward. Hokey. I don't think so. I appreciate that. Yeah, and I and I loved that you were able to sit there and talk to me. Oh, in I would have done it forever. Yeah, and nobody came in to interrupt with a laugh for yeah. a long time. Yeah, and I knew that I didn't have to suddenly miraculously wake up out of my coma. Yeah, and I didn't that want wasn't you to. The game we were I didn't playing.
1: want you to at all. Uh,
2: and that leads me to the other thing that Chaplin is so great for, which I also strive for, is that he believes that 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 art and comedy specifically can be, it needs to be, it can be, and it and it must be more than just that. And he accomplishes incredible things with comedy. And I believe the same thing. I, I the funniest improv shows that I've done have not been totally satisfying for me, and really none of them are, unless there's. Unless we achieve something beyond comedy, and those are the shows that, that fuel me. Those are the shows that I'm totally satisfied with, is when we can make an audience um, surprised, or we can make an audience sad, or we can make an audience realize something about the world beyond just laughing at, at dick jokes. Yeah. And dick jokes have their place, but yeah. but accomplishing something more... In pants. <laughs> uh, I love that. And Chaplin did that for reals. And, he, and in great. fact, he sacrificed the tramp for that ideal. To that be able to can, continue
1: to. That comedy do that. can
2: achieve something else. And cool. He, and he, he literally sacrificed the character mm-hmm. to deliver a 100% honest speech against the world. In the World War II era.
1: That's so cool. I, uh, yeah, I mean, as you know, as someone who listens, I usually wrap things up by asking how you feel like your love of Chaplin has uh, affected you creatively and influenced you creatively, and how you feel like it's affected you, um, your life more in general. And I feel like we've definitely talked about uh both of those things a decent amount but Nailed if you it. have anything to add to that feel free to uh but i mean that like those two really specific the genre and like using comedy to do more than just yeah, be that's comedy the creative absolutely. absolutely yeah as you were talking about that i was like oh this is i should just not bring up that i usually ask that cuz he's already answered it but i've already thrown all typical uh <laughs> activities out the
2: window. The personal influence is like that as great as Chaplin was and as I'm as happy I am that he created everything that he created. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm never going to do that, um, yeah. which is which is fine because I I'm totally at peace with the fact that I'm going to I'm going to choose my my parents and my siblings and my wife and my future children over any kind of art that I'm going to create, mm-hmm. um, and I think Chaplin had a lot of unhappiness in his mm-hmm. life, and I don't have that burden. Yeah. So
1: neither do I. So we can keep doing improv shows. that yeah. involve uh, dig jokes. jokes.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to throw myself into the into the the you know the emotional turbulence that Chaplin went through in order sure. to create that art so that's the personal influences i'm like he created i get what you wonderful did. things for so many that. people <laughs> yeah. and yeah and it was really i think at the expense of himself in a lot of ways so sorry world i that's like right, myself man. i think that you're
1: still uh doing making great strides in the uh in those artistic things that you like about him uh Thanks. yeah I do. Um, thank you so much for doing this. It was such a pleasure. It was Are great. Are we way
2: over time? Uh,
1: <laughs> it, I'm not worried. The last few that I've done have actually been a decent amount over an hour. I don't okay. know if I'm just getting verbose or if I'm being a... I don't know. The I For a while, I literally constrained them to an hour. And I think in a couple of cases, it would have been really great to continue to let the conversation go. Mm-hmm. So I was kind of like, ah, fuck it. What's, you know, 15 minutes? Uh, so I'm not worried about it. I think it was great. I'm really glad that we talked as long as we did.
2: I'm so honored to have done it. This mm. is like a really great podcast series. And the idea of of nerding out yeah. over something is is something that's gaining a foothold. And it's yeah. like the best people are passionate people.
1: I think so about too. About
2: anything and giving them this platform to talk is... Uh-oh really important and wonderful. Thanks, Scott. Mm-hmm.
1: That's really sweet, mm-hmm. and it really means a lot, especially coming from you. Scott Braidman, I love you, and I mean that. I love you, and I mean that.
2: Let's tell some dick jokes.
1: Dick jokes. We just had a moment of sincerity, so it's dick jokes. See how that works? <laughs>
2: This has been a Nerdalogs production. For more on the Nerdalogs and our shows, please go to www.nerdalogs.com.
0: Thank you all, thank you all. I am Grabbot23548X.